Why do you want to fight? This is the fight game with Demond Cotton. Hello, hello, and welcome to another exciting edition of the Fight Game on 1230 The Game. I am your host, Damon Cotton, and I know I say it each and every week, and boy, is it true, each and every week we have a jam-packed show for you today. And I mean, this show is so jam-packed, so much to get to. We got to just jump right into it. Okay, this past weekend was a great weekend in boxing. Deontay Wilder making his comeback. Devin Haney becoming well not becoming still retaining his championships to be the undisputed lightweight champion at 135 in boxing and then also you've got the local guy Caleb Plant who also had a dominating performance a nice digging the grave of his opponent knockout I mean two good knockouts and Devin Haney putting on the technical precision that he is known for but wait there's more we also have impact wrestlers good personal friends of mine actually Chris Bay and Kenny King joining the show today, and you don't want to miss that. They're going to be joining us in about 10 minutes. And finally, to close out the show, Jim Griesauber from ESPN, MMA Weekly, he's going to be joining me to preview UFC 280, and it's a card that I think is going to be, without a doubt, the best card of the year, UFC They're going all out in Abu Dhabi, and, man, it's going to be exciting to see headlined for the vacant, I know a lot of people like to say, hey, Charles is the champ, Charles is the champ. And I'm one of those people, too, I fall into that trap. But this is a vacant championship that Charles Oliveira and Islam Makhachev, they are going to be fighting for. But circling back to the exciting weekend that was in professional boxing, Sam Gordon from the Las Vegas Review-Journal, good friend of the show, has been on multiple times. He joined Q Myers and myself yesterday on Unnecessary Roughness on Raider Nation Radio 920. You can check that out today at 2 or the podcast, and you can listen on the Raiders app or the LV Sports Network. Got to plug that to Raider Nation Radio, 920 a.m. But we talked to Sam Gordon about the weekend that was in professional boxing, and here's what Sam Gordon had to say. Switching gears to the fight game that this Uh-oh. past weekend, Uh-oh. there was a lot of big boxing fights. Now, I'm just going to ask you a question about the big three here. Caleb Plant, Devin Haney, Deontay Wilder, who had the more impressive showing? Oh, uh, uh, For me, um... For me, Devon, it would be Caleb Plant, right? Um, it would be Caleb Plant, and because of the fashion in which he dispatched of Anthony Durrell, uh, we know Caleb Plant can move. We know he's a technician in there and that he can box, and that's how he ascended to be a 168-pound world champion um, by the IBF. What we hadn't seen is that kind of pop and that kind of power. And with him working with a new trainer, um, Redman, uh, clearly they worked on power and sitting down on punches. And I thought the way he was able to set up that left hook, that that that. Um, Trek Hook, was, was, it was a thing of beauty, you know, going down to the body. It had been a dull fight up to that point, right? Very low action, drawing a lot of booze, but that's one way to get the crowd out of their seats. And, and for, for, he was the most impressive for me because given that, you know, he'd been um, inactive for, you know, I think 11 months coming after the Canelo fight, still wants to be a player in the 168-pound division. And doing that, knocking out Anthony Durrell in the way that he did shows that, hey, look, maybe he's adding a little bit to his game. He's got some pop that we hadn't seen before. And uh, that sets him up for another big fight at 168. I, I mean, I think the fight we all want to see, um, right, if, if David Benavidez doesn't fight Canelo, David Benavidez and Caleb Plant. That's the fight to make, um, I think, for the Cinco de Mayo fight date. Canelo you know, had, had said after the, the Triple G fight that, you know, he might need to take a year off because he's been dealing with a wrist injury. Well, that fight date opens up, and, and that is an awesome matchup at 168 pounds uh, between probably the second and third best guys in that division right now. So he was awesome. But, you know, let's, let's be clear. Deontay Wilder did exactly what he needed to do um, in his comeback fight to get his mojo back to show that he's still one of the top dogs in the heavyweight division. And then Devin Haney was you know, even more impressive against George Cambosis this time around. I thought he fought clearly with a different mentality, uh, wanting to punish George a little bit more, w- w- going for the stoppage. I think um, that's only going to serve him well in terms of the you know, public perception and, and helping build his fan base that, hey, he can be exciting. Uh, and he can go out there and administer a hurting and not just box for 12 rounds. He really pushed the issue. Couldn't quite get him out there. Couldn't quite get Cambosis out of there. Uh, but showed that, you know, showed some improvement as he continues to develop, still only 23 years old. So it was an awesome weekend. Um, all three guys were fantastic in, in their respective showings. But, but Taylor Plant, I thought, stole the show just with, 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 I guess, you know, one of the candidates for knockout of the year. It was a, it was a spectacular knockout, a spectacular showing by him. Um, and he's going to remain a player in the 168 pound division. 
There you go. That was a good detail right there on on, on that fight. So I got to ask you. I got to go with the yeah. the the, o- the Oakland kid, man. Devin Haney. Uh, he's actually got family here in Las Vegas. He's here in Vegas all the time. What's next for Haney? Because he put on a hell of a show as well. Yeah, no, he definitely did, Q, and I, I think the fight to make, right? He's got a, you know, I believe it was a three-fight deal with top rank, so that gives him one more fight. The first two Cambosis fights uh, fulfilled the first two fights on that contract with top rank. I think the fight to make now um, is Vasily Lomachenko, right, uh, who was, you know, as of a couple of years ago, number one on a lot of pound-for-pound lists, three-division world champ, maybe the greatest amateur ever, two, two-time Olympic gold medalist, and still at 34 years old, an absolute um, technician inside those ropes. Now, he, he fights... I think, uh, what is it, October 29th um, in New York, uh, more or less a uh, kind of a comeback fight because he was, he's was he been inactive uh, amidst everything going on in the Ukraine. But Devin Haney and Vasily Lomachenko was a fantastic matchup uh, for Devin Haney's belts at 135 pounds. He's been calling for Lomachenko now for four or five years, um, really since, since he's been in the mix when Lomachenko was number one pound-for-pound guy. Um, and, and based on what we've seen so far from Devin Haney, the improvement we've seen, I, I would favor him in that matchup. He's the bigger fighter. Um, he's the longer fighter. I think we saw more of an offensive arsenal, and you need that kind of arsenal against Loma because he has every punch in the book, and his footwork, the way he's able to create angles and time guys, is so impressive. So to me, that is a fantastic matchup. It should be easy to make, both guys being uh, under contract with top rank. And, and that, to me, that's you know, a pay-per-view kind of fight. Uh, ESPN, pay-per-view kind of fight. Uh, for Devin Haney, it would be a, a victory. If, if he were able to beat Lomachenko, uh, it would be a, you know, his, a signature win uh, in his career to date and continue to propel him into the upper echelon the top, you know, towards the top of the pound-for-pound rankings. And for Lomachenko, I think he deserves the opportunity. Let's not forget he was going to be George Cambos' original opponent for the Unified Championship, if not for the, the conflict in the Ukraine. So to me, it feels like those two guys on our collision course has been a long time coming. And when, if and when that fight does happen, would assume it would be sometime early next year February, March, um, I think it'd be a spectacular matchup in the 135-pound division. I'll tell you what, I love when Devin Haney fights because it's on ESPN and it's free. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. I don't know how long it's going to be on ESPN and free, but I enjoy watching Devin Haney. He's a lot of fun. Uh, he's a hell of a fighter at 135 pounds, as you mentioned. And that was Sam Gordon with Q Myers and myself yesterday on Unnecessary Roughness on Raider Nation Radio. And he laid out a lot of good points there about Caleb Plant, that return fight that he had, you know, following the Canelo fight. And that's why I wanted to bring this to the audience, because I could have just had Sam on right there. But we would have been talking about the same exact thing that he perfectly said on Unnecessary Roughness yesterday. And when we get back, we're going to be talking to two of the best wrestlers and not just the city. Not just the city of Vegas, but the world. And I mean that as Chris Bay and Kenny King are going to be joining me on the fight game on 1230 The Game. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to the fight game with Demond Cotton. And I'm pleased to introduce my next guest, Impact Superstars, Chris Bay and Kenny King. How you fellas doing today? Good, man. Good. How you doing, Demond? I'm doing good, man. Good to have you all in the building. I mean, we got the Sin City Showdown coming up this weekend. I know Impact's doing a lot of big things, so what can we expect this weekend from Impact here in Vegas? Uh, we, we can expect a thriller of an event. We got two shows. We got Friday and Saturday, Sam's Town Live, Sin City Showdown, as you said, Impact Wrestling. So we got all of our roster coming into Vegas. Top-level professionals, the Knockouts Division, our, our, our regular men's division, the Tag Team League. We got uh, you know, entertainment like Johnny Swinger on the roster, who's always going to give you a good, a good show and a good laugh. Uh, you can expect to get your money's worth and then some when you see Impact Wrestling this weekend. All right, Kristen, let me talk to you, man. I know last week you got the announcement, the big contract extension, a multi-year deal. Yeah. How did that come about? And like for you to know that Impact is where you want to be long term. Yeah, man. Uh, it, it was kind of a no-brainer. You know, uh, there's a lot of competition in the world of wrestling right now. And realistically, I could have went anywhere in the world. But where my heart is at is at Impact Wrestling. Impact Wrestling is the first place to give me an opportunity to give me a chance. And uh, to say that the roster is family is an understatement for me. Uh, but I, I still have a lot of goals that are left unaccomplished that I will have to accomplish in the next coming years. You know, I've been X Division champion. The reign wasn't as long as I would have liked it to be, but my name is still on the history books alongside with, you know, former two-time X Division champion sitting next to me, Kenny King. But I want more out of this run with Impact Wrestling. I want the World Tag Team Championships, and ultimately I do want that World Championship. So, Josh Alexander, hold on tight, buddy. I'm coming. 
All right, Kenny, and then Chris just mentioned the X Division, and you you were in a, a six-man match last week that was spectacular, and you're still out there with, I'm going to just say it, these young guys, you're still out there <laughs> putting on a good show. So what's it for you? Like, has the how much has the X Division changed since, I'll say about 10, 15 years ago, when you were, no, you're still in your prime because you still, I mean, come on, you're one of the best there is. But how much has that X Division changed from being in there with guys like these younger guys like Chris? I mean, the names change, right? But the the soul and the heart of the X Division is always athleticism, high level competition, um, innovation, uh, and that's and that's it really doesn't matter what uh, generation of the X Division you look at. Uh, that's kind of what the X Division has been about. So when you have guys like you know Chris and Trey, um, guys like Alex Zane, guys like Mike Bailey, I mean, these are these are top names that are, are in the same vein as the X Division guys like Alex Shelley, Chris Sabin, um, you know, Austin Aries, things like that. So so uh, the the level of innovation, the level of athleticism is just as good now as it's ever been. And then this is a question for the both of you guys. I know that everyone wants to be the world champion, world champion, but in impact, I think that that X Division title, it means a little something more. I know for me growing up, Chris, maybe you feel the same way, or it was just these guys were always putting on the show when you had the AJ Styles, the Samoa Joe, the Christopher Daniels, like those matches that those guys put on. Do you think that the X Division and impact, that it is still one of those divisions that you don't see it anymore in wrestling because it's become so so generalized where everybody is always putting on that style of match, but the X Division is still setting itself apart from just what wrestling is today? Uh, everybody, like you said, man, everybody's kind of stolen the style of the X Division uh, in wrestling. The, the more wrestling has evolved, the more it seems to cater more to the original idea of the X Division and what Impact was doing with the X Division from the jump. Um, like you said, the, that title always felt like it meant a little bit more, but I felt like it, it meant uh, more because there the lack of limitations on it, you know, like like the whole theme of it was, you know, there was no limits. So you could have a guy who looked like me win it, or you could have somebody like Samoa Joe take the championship. You know, what I'm saying, or someone who who's uh, a bigger guy, bigger stature. So there was no limitations on it, but it, it's the workhorse championship, so to speak. Not to say that a world championship is not. Uh, but the reason why we still stand head and shoulders above the rest with the division is because we outseek talent from all over the world and all types of different organizations. Impact works with everybody from New Japan to AEW or wherever you may be from. You know, Impact Wrestling always has that open door for you. So we, we're going to get the best all around the world, not just what we have limited to our roster, which even if we only went with our roster, we'd have the top level you know performers. But we have that open policy that lets people from everywhere come in and challenge for the X Division. And that's what that's what really makes it special to me, at least, you know. Again, I'm joined by Chris Bay and Kenny King from Impact Wrestling. Now, Kenny, for you coming back to Impact after Ring of Honor had its vacant period during the pandemic, what's that been like for you to be a veteran in this locker room, but still being hungry and wanting to push yourself? Because I know you still have goals that you want to achieve as well. Yeah, I mean, it's um, it, it's it's one of those experiences that you don't really get. Uh, you don't really get sometimes the opportunity to try to reinvent yourself and to find yourself in a position where, man, this is uh, it, it's it's time to go. Um, so coming into Impact, seeing who was there, uh, it really kind of um, it, it kind of lit a fire underneath me because these are some of the best guys in the world. These are Josh Alexander. You have Moose. You know Eddie Edwards. You have some of the guys who are whose names uh, ring ring very heavy in the sport. So. Um, it's just really pushed me to want to continue to push myself to the next level, um, give, get my game a, an overhaul and, uh, and, and tune up the stuff that I've been doing. I mean, obviously, it's, uh, uh, I'm, I'm grateful to Impact, but they knew you know, that, that they had a commodity in Kenny King and bringing me in also. So um, my job is just to continue to, to perform at a high level and, uh, and, and do that with whoever comes across my path. So is there anyone that, I'm sure you've already worked with them, but there's anyone still left in the company that, hey, I want to program with this guy? Or is it something about this young guy that you see here that I could bring something special out of him? Or is it just, hey, man, I just got to work with whoever they put in front of me? No, I mean, there's, uh, there's, there's a lot of guys that I'd love to work with. You know what I mean? I, had, I only had one match with uh, Speedball Mike Bailey. I feel like we could uh, definitely continue uh, to do some good things together. Uh, I've never, ever been in a one-on-one -on -one match with Moose. Um, I feel like that's a good, you know, we, a good conflict of styles. Josh Alexander, again, I mean, I, yeah, he's a champ, and mm -hmm. everybody's, you know, going to gun for him, but Josh is a hell of a wrestler. Alex Shelley is still around. So there's a lot of, um, you know, open, open dance partners uh, for me, so to speak. And, Chris, I know that you've been a part of the Bullet Club, and I know that that sees 
How much has it has that changed? Like your even your social media impact or the way that people follow you because it is, hey, it's Chris Bay. Now he's the you were the ultimate finesse, or you still are, but now it's hey, it's Chris Bay, a part of the Bullet Club. Have you seen your profile change at all, or has it all just been the same? Uh, I've d- I've done a really good job with. Uh, marketing myself and building my own brand. So uh, I got to give myself the credit, first of all, for the work that I've done. Uh, Because Bullet Club has such a a global impact and, you know, it's the biggest faction in pro wrestling. Uh, I'll say it. You know, we're we're at every company from WWE to AEW to, you know, uh, when there was a Ring of Honor to, you know what I'm saying, uh, Impact and New Japan and so on and so forth. Anywhere there's wrestling, there's probably Bullet Club. So now with me being in there, I've seen, of course, uh, the fans gravitate to me a little bit more and people who maybe have only heard my name who never gave me the opportunity to actually watch my work or whatever uh, I've seen them you know uh, switch sides and jump on on the team buy the finesse club merchandise at shopimpact.com shop new japan pro wrestling um, I've seen them buying the merchandise I've seen them too sweet me you know in the grocery stores they're walking around with their, their bullet club shirts it's cool though because uh, at the end of the day I have to be worth what they're going to invest in and I think that because I've built such a uh, good repertoire or uh, uh, doing that before and up until this moment that it works out in my favor because now when people see me, they just go, oh yeah, this guy is awesome. I should have been watching him. And now that he's got this Bullet Club stamp and he's standing with these people and that person and this person, it just solidifies even more so how much of a star we have in front of us. And I think my star is barely, barely just starting to shine. So stay tuned. Impact Wrestling this weekend, Samstown, you're going to see something special. All right, and something else I wanted to ask you, because you mentioned the heavyweight title that you're also going to be gunning for that, but also the tag team division. How is that tag team with Ace Austin like? What you got, like, that chemistry that you guys are building in the ring together? Uh, our, our our relationship is, is very interesting because when I first came to Impact Wrestling, before I was even signed to Impact Wrestling, I saw them sign Ace Austin, and I said, yeah, that guy right there is going to give me a run for my money down the line for sure because – uh, he's that guy who's going for the top spot and he's the young guy who's doing it and that was kind of me you know the young guy who wants that top spot so I knew that me and him would cross paths a lot did I ever think we'd end up on the same team I did not think that but if you look from our very first tag team match where we teamed up against the Motor City Machine Guns in our first uh, tag match you getting put against arguably the very best tag team Impact Wrestling has ever had um, and we stood our own you know we didn't get the W that time but we stood our own and just from that moment alone the first time teaming with him I knew that we had something special on our hands so me and Ace we're going to be a problem for the tag team division and Impact Wrestling and we want those world tag team championships but we want tag team championships all over the world whether that's a teaser or a spoiler you'll have to stay tuned to, to know what I'm talking about but me and Ace Austin are not going to stop at Impact Wrestling we're going to get gold in Impact Wrestling we're going to get gold in any company we touch and it's going to be just too sweet all right, again, Impact Wrestling, Sin City Showdown going to be taking place this weekend, October 21st and 22nd. Now, both of you guys are local guys, so i got to ask the both of you, Kenny, you can take it first. How special is it for you when you perform in Vegas? <clears throat> I mean, Vegas is, uh, we know it, but a lot of people may not know it, man. It's low-key becoming its own, like, thriving wrestling market in the last, you know, five to ten years. Yeah, going back to 2012, I'd say, going, you know, five to ten years, it's really become a place where uh, every wrestling company has, okay, we got to hit Vegas at some point during the year. And, uh, and, you know, people always think about the Chicago's, the Phillies, the New York's, the Detroit's, but Vegas on the West Coast has definitely become a spot where uh, every company makes sure they hit here because the fans here, um, they are rabid, they are excited, they show, they, they keep up with all companies, they keep up with all the stuff. So it's um, it's definitely become a place where people um, where people know that you know okay it's it's, it's going to be a good it's a good wrestling town right so uh, shout out to Vegas before becoming a low key wrestling town uh, when you know when nobody was really paying attention and yeah Vegas is sweet man it's where I started my career at it's where I've had my my first you know major moments my first matches my first injuries my first championships at all and then Samstown the rapid back in the one is a building that you know I I'd made my debut with Impact Wrestling in that building. I won championships in that building. I've lost championships in that building. I've wrestled my idols in that building. I first competed for the X Division championship in that building. So bringing this to Vegas is a very special thing 
always whenever Impact can come to Vegas. But it's also awesome for me because a lot of these fans that will be at Impact Wrestling Friday and Saturday saw my very first match. You know, they sat there and saw the first time I ever got to, uh, you know, walk through that curtain and touch the ring. So now they get to see me on a major platform with top level stars. So uh, for that in itself, it's very special to me personally, you know. All right, man. Thank you guys for joining me here today. This has been a pleasure. I mean, just it's just good to see your friends succeed, man. Just to have you guys in here, being a part of the show, it really has meant a lot to me, man. So thank you all for coming on with me today. Well, it's good to see yeah. you too, man. You got your show. You're doing your thing. So it's good to, for us to be able to come in here and do this with you. And there they go, Kenny King and Chris Bay, and you can check them out at Impact Sin City Showdown, October 21st and 22nd, right here in Las Vegas. And when we come back, we're going to preview maybe – what just may be the best UFC card of the year with Jim Greasehopper. This is The Fight Game on 1230 The Game. Welcome back to The Fight Game with Damon Cotton. I'm pleased to introduce my next guest here on The Fight Game as we are going to take a look at UFC 280 and maybe a little bit even beyond in the UFC. Jim Greasehopper. Grease, how are you doing? And thank you for joining me today, my friend. Oh, my man, always. You know, I look forward to this every time. It's a great conversation anytime we're chopping it up. Yeah, and we are going to chop it up. UFC 280, there's so much to talk about on this card. I don't even know where to start because when it comes to stacked cards for the UFC, how big do you think that this 280 card is going to be? I'm not saying all time, but at least for this year, is this the best card top to bottom that the UFC's put on? This is, thank you, Abu Dhabi. Thank you for Fight Island. Thank you for getting us through the pandemic in many ways. Thank you for being a great partner, a great host, everything that you could possibly be, because this pay-per-view is loaded from top to bottom. And even the prelims on ESPN News and ESPN Plus, when you look at Bilal Muhammad and Sean Brady, what a crazy thing for Bilal Muhammad to take this fight against an undefeated Brady, who is an absolute monster, and that he gets a shot against one of the very best guys in a very jam-packed welterweight division, and it doesn't even make the main card. Vulcan Ozdemir, former title contender, not on the main card. You know, so when you're looking at Vulcan and Brady and Muhammad, these are potentially main event fighters or who have been main event fighters. They're on the undercard because this thing is just so loaded from top to bottom, man. What a fight card this is. Oh, I didn't even think about the entire aspect of, hey, Abu Dhabi, thank you for Fight Island. Thank you for getting us through the pandemic. We're going to give you the best card of the year. But speaking of how good this undercard is, which fight which card? Which fight on the undercard are you most looking forward to? Who man? Um, well, there's a. I mean, obviously, it, it'd be easy for me to say Bilal Muhammad versus mm -hmm. Sean Brady because when you're looking at Sean Brady and you're and you're looking at what he's able to do, I mean, his jujitsu. He's just an He's out of Philly. He's a tough dude, and he's just you know. And and people can say whatever they want, and I'm one of them all the time. I want to see who you beat first. And Court McGee's a solid pro, and. You know, Jake Matthews, is a, they're all good fighters. They're great. They're in the UFC. But when you go in there and you fight Michael Chiesa and you do what you did against Michael Chiesa, who's a solid top-of-the-line competitor in that division, and you win that fight easily and handily, as Sean Brady did, uh, to me, he opened my eyes. But Bilal Muhammad, one of the toughest dudes overall in the UFC, and he's a perfect example of not really having that one discipline. He's a good wrestler. His jiu-jitsu is okay. But what I mean is he just puts it all together. And he beats the Damian Mayas and the Wonder Boys and the Vicente Luque. If you're coming off back-to-back-to-backs against those guys, he had the no contest against Edwards, but then it was Maya, Thompson, and Luque. Those are as solid of fighters as you're going to find. And he just did a little murderer's row and went through them one by one by one. So it's, it's amazing for Bilal Muhammad to be where he is and take this fight. It says everything about him as a man that you need to know. And for Sean Brady, an absolute beast. What an opportunity. So that one's an easy one, right? You look at that one and you say, it's easy to pick that one. But when I look at the Nurmagomedov fight against Godzi, I mean, that's a good fight at welterweight. Two contrasting styles there and, and, and that, that mindset of I must break you from both guys. I mean, I'm really looking forward to that fight. It's buried down the card a little bit. Ozdemir, what does he have left in the tank against Nikita at light heavyweight? And, you know, a great opportunity for Nikita. So Vulcan Ozdemir, who's kind of become like a placeholder in the light heavyweight division, can this be a, a step up for Nikita? And I'm looking forward to that one. So, this whole this whole card's amazing, but those are the ones that I would point out and say I'm looking forward to those the most on the undercard. And then let's go back to Bilal and Sean Brady because with Bilal, 
Why is he taking this fight? For me, I just think that he would want to stay active. That welterweight division, there's there's a bit of a logjam now that Usman's lost to Edwards. But do you see that this is really a lot of a risk and no reward for Blah Muhammad taking this fight against Sean Brady? Uh, I wouldn't say no reward because, you know, obviously you get the props and you're a tough dude and you don't duck anyone and you're there and you're fighting the best in the and it's, like, and it's five versus eight. It's not like he's fighting the number 15 guy. It's not like not like what we're going to talk about in a minute when number 11 Sean O'Malley fights number one Fyodor Jan. It's not that much of a discrepancy rankings-wise, <laughs> but, you know, it is a golden opportunity for Brady. Muhammad's a G for taking the fight because you, you look at who's ahead of him, and Kamaru's going to get Edwards, the rematch, obviously. Hamzat's going to fight at 185, so you've got Burns and Colby, and you've got, you know, that's it pretty much above him. So he wasn't going to get a fight with Burns or Colby. You look at Neil, and he's already beaten Wonderboy, so I guess this was the fight for him. But the upside for Bilal in this fight that I see is go out there and get a dominant win against a guy like Brady, who everybody's talking about as a can't-miss, and it just lets everybody know, hey, there's levels to this. I'm at the top. You're not taking my spot. Again, we're talking to Jim Greasehopper. You can follow him at CageSideGrease on Twitter. And now let's get into that main card because it is stacked. You mentioned Jan O'Malley, and I'm we got to hold off on that one just a little bit. But Darius versus, geez, Gamrod. Um, oh, man, this card is going to test my pronunciation skills. I can guarantee you that. And this fight's taking, uh, taking place at lightweight. Who do you have winning this, and what do you like about this matchup? Dude, I, I mean, look, Benil Dariush is, I mean, who doesn't love Benil Dariush, right? I mean, things haven't really gone his way in terms of the way things have shaken out with the fight matchups. And and it, I, he's right at the top, right? I mean, what he's done in the last couple of years and the way that he's improved and gotten better and, and just gotten every element of his game to, and look, I, I was at the Jakar close fight. It was right before Vegas closed down for the pandemic. I've known Jakar a long time. Jakar had him out on his feet. He withstood everything Jakar had and then knocked Jakar out, and I've never seen anybody do that. And I'll tell you one thing right now, Jakar Close is a big, big problem, and he's going to fight Mark Madsen coming up in that division. Scott Holtzman is a very tough dude, the spinning back fist that Dariush knocked him out with. So you have a fight where he came back when he was out on his feet and got the knockout against Close. The spinning back fist highlight reel against Holtzman, hot sauce. Carlos Diego Ferreira is as tough as you get. That was a really hard split decision dominates Tony Ferguson, he's at the top of the rankings, and now he's been dropping down because he hasn't been fighting. And so you got Islam up at the top, and I know we're going to get to that, but Gamrat's a G, bro. That, that's not an easy fight for Benil Dariush. I mean, that, that, and Dariush is great jiu-jitsu. He's good on his feet. I, I love, he's got a King's MMA. I know a lot about him because my buddy Kelvin Gaslam trained out there with him for years with Doom and all those guys in Uriah Hall, uh, who, by the way, is going to fight on the Jake Paul card coming up here in Arizona, but it's interesting against Le'Veon Bell, but it's interesting when you look at the wins that both those guys have because they have wins over the same opponents, Ferreira and Holtzman as well. So when you look at the common opponents and they both have wins over them, it doesn't matter as much in mixed martial arts because styles make fights and every fighter fights a different fight every time out based on who his opponent is. But I think overall, skill set-wise, Darius is too good in this fight and you're going to see Darius make a serious run at the belt, I believe, in 2023. I, I thought he was going to do it this year. The chips just didn't fall the right way. Yeah, because what do you think about with Darius, how he, he's a little bit upset about not getting that replacement fight? If something were to happen to the main event, how that shot is going to be going to Alexander Volkanovsky, do you think that that's fair, or in, with the UFC at this point, fair really doesn't matter? Fair doesn't matter, but I also think it is fair. I do. I mean, I, I don't think a win over Tony Ferguson at this point is enough to get you a title shot. It, it was for Justin Gaethje at the time because it was a different Tony Ferguson. So you're coming off a win against Ferguson. You know, you got a couple of good wins before that, but you still don't have that elite highest of high-level wins. And I know he was going to fight Islam, and I'd love to see that. I don't think Islam should have a title fight right now, but, you know, you're running out of guys up there, and Charles has been cleaning out that division. So I know... Neil is a little upset about that, but he's, he's got a fight against Gamrot. I probably would have made him the backup, but the way Volkanovski's been fighting and the way he cleaned out that whole division at, at 45, coming back and winning fights, that he was losing like the Holloway fight, you know, a couple of those max fights, 
Uh, T-City had him submitted twice. No one gets out of those submissions. Somehow Volkanovski did. Absolutely unbelievable what he's done. I don't like him as a person in terms of, well, I shouldn't say that. I, I like him. Whoa. He's a nice guy. But his persona is irritating. And I think a lot of people feel the same way. Like, people want to see him get beat because he just comes across as that angry little dude with a Napoleon complex. And, um, and no one likes that. But at the same time, it, it's awkward. He, he seems like a socially awkward type of dude. He's never going to be the guy with gift of gab that can sell a bunch of pay-per-views. But what he's doing in the octagon, man, like you can't take that away from him. As tough as he is, as strong as he is, I, I think Volkanovski is the right choice. He's a bigger name. There's more sizzle there. And Darius already has a fight. So I, I, I can't see any fault in having Volkanovski there as the guy as the backup for Hold on, hold on. As a short guy myself, if I were to drop down to 145, 155, I would probably look just like Volk. So I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to give a little pushback there because I am somebody that you said that. And I was a like, hold on. Plus pound rugby player fights at 145. Think of that, bro. And he's like five seven. Well, how? What did he look like as a 200 pound rugby player at that height? I mean, could you imagine trying to run through that dude? No, thank you. Yeah, I'm standing at 5'5", five, five and I'm a little bit, I'm like right at 200 right now. So, no, like when I had him on the show, it was just, you know, I just wanted to talk to him. Yeah, short guy, a short guy who, you know, who used to be, you know, pushing it over over the 200-pound limit there. You know, he's a real inspiration to me. Oh, without a <laughs> doubt, man. He is, uh, he, I, I went from a guy who didn't like him to a big fan. And I still want to see him fight Henry Cejudo. I got to throw it out there. Henry's my guy. I've known him forever. Disclaimer, my buddy, my friend, my brother, whatever. But still, he's an incredible champion. And for the opportunity to jump up to another weight class and fight Volkanovski, Henry wants to fight the best of the best all the time. He wants to be a legend killer, to be the legend. And um, I, I really think they're the same height. They're about the same size. Henry would weigh the same. It, it, that would be That's the fight I really want to see more than anything at 145 is um, Triple C, Henry Cejudo, and Alexander Volkanovski. But for the meantime, if Volkanovski steps in for either one of these guys, because remember, Neither one of these guys is the champ. This is a vacant belt. Mm -hmm. This is a vacant belt. Everyone just thinks, oh, Al, there's the champ. No, remember, he missed weight. And when he beat Gaethje in Phoenix, the belt was declared vacant. And it's, it's, a, for, it's, a, it's, you know, it's, a, it's a, a foregone conclusion to MMA fans and UFC fans that Oliver is the champ because he's beaten everybody. But, you know, theoretically and officially, not even theoretically, officially, that belt is vacant. So we'll see what happens there. And there's a lot of guys lined up for that lightweight belt. As you mentioned, that's a jack division. And if Oliveira loses, which I don't think he'll do to Islam, and we'll talk about that, but, you know, that brings back the Gaethje's and the Poirier's and all these guys that Charles just beat as soon as Charles loses. But 11 times in a row, we've been waiting for Charles to lose. And 11 times in a row, Charles has not lost. Before we get into the final three fights on the card, let's talk about the stacked divisions that the UFC has. What do you think is the most competitive division in the UFC right now? I go back and forth on this. My first answer is not. I don't think it's the most stacked, but I have to throw it out there. Women's strawweight, dude. When you've got like Amanda Hebus at number nine and Jan Jaroba at 10, Lamos at seven, Mackenzie Dern, Jan, Andrade, former champ, Marina Rodriguez, the beef, Zhang Wei Lee, former champ, Thug Rose, former champ, and Carla Esparza at the top. That division is the most jacked women's division I've ever seen, and it's amazing right now in the UFC. Um, I love the way heavyweights come back to where, you know, like Curtis Blade, Stipe, Gon, and, uh, Cyril Gon, Francis Ngannou, and John Jones. You got 6'7", Tom Aspinall, who suffered the injury against Curtis Blade, Sergei Pavlovich, I mean, Tui Vasa. That fight was unbelievable against Gon, who is an incredible mixed martial artist and athlete. Otherwise, Tui Vasa doesn't lose that fight. But... That's a stacked division, but overall, I still think it's lightweight and it's heavyweight and maybe bantamweight. I go back and forth, right? Because when you look at welterweight and you've got at the top, and, and I'm not, I'm going to put Hamzad out of there because I don't believe he's going to make it, but what weight-wise. But when you've got Bilal Muhammad and Jeff Neal and Gilbert Burns and Colby and Kamaro and Leon Edwards, then at lightweight, you've got Darius and Chandler and Islam and Gaethje and Poirier and, and Dubronx and, you know, but, but, Bantamweight, you got the former champs and, and um, you know, Dominic Cruz, a legend, and Frankie Edgar, and Jose Aldo just retired, but you still have Font and Munoz and Chito and Sanhagen's at four, bro, and Mirab's at three, and TJ, who fights 
Aljo for the title? Is that two Piotr Jans? I don't know, man. Welterweight, lightweight, bantamweight, flip a three-sided coin, and women's strawweight, I had to give them their props because that's Jack, too. Oh, man, I love it. And again, we're talking to Jim Greasehopper here on the fight game on 1230 The Game. Now, let's jump into that Bantamweight division as Pitor Jan is going to be taking on Sean O'Malley. And this is the fight that I'm most looking forward to on the card, mainly because I am so ready to see Sean O'Malley take on some top-tier competition because I am one of those people. He's on the hype train. The UFC, it's got to be... The hype. I don't see what it is about this kid that people think that he's so good, so great. But hey, he sells himself, and the UFC is putting him in a position a little bit too fast, in my opinion. But what do you think? I don't think it's too fast. He's been around a long time, and he's fought a lot of people. But, I mean, were there other guys who you would rather see in this position fighting Piotr Jan right now? Of course, you can make that argument all day. There's a lot of guys out there who would be saying, I want to fight Piotr Jan right now. But, you know, a lot of guys have had their shot, and a lot of guys have lost. It just so happens that... You know, um, Aljamain Sterling got him twice now. And the first fight may not have been legit, but the second one was sure as hell legit because Aljo put on a great performance and beat a guy who I think in Jan, he's one of the best in-fight adjusters in MMA. Like, he gets better as the fight goes on. He takes punishment early. So to me, that's the key to this fight. Sean O'Malley going the distance with a guy like Jan who can take him down, beat him up on the ground, pin him up against the cage, beat him up there. Jan just gets stronger and better, and he's such a beast, man. Like, I don't think O'Malley can hang with the strength and the grappling and the ground game of Piotr Jan. But on the feet, and make no mistake about this, I've seen a lot of things being written by a lot of people who I wish I could just take their keyboard away because they deserve <laughs> to have their keyboard taken away. Piotr Jan is not beating Sean O'Malley on the feet. If you're writing that, if you're predicting that, if you're saying that, stop covering the sport because you have no idea what you're talking about. Piotr Jan is not beating Sean O'Malley on the feet anytime, any place, any day, ever. It's not happening. The threat of the takedowns, the threat of the grappling, notwithstanding. But on the feet, early in this fight where Jan normally takes punishment, think back to his previous fights, he takes punishment early as he makes adjustments, whether it's a Sanhagen fight, whether it's an Aljo fight, whatever fight it is, he's taking some punishment early. The Aldo fight, he's taking some punishment early. O'Malley has the kind of power, the kind of reach, both arms, both legs, to knock his ass out early in this fight. So do not be surprised to see Sean O'Malley get an early finish. I'm saying it. I am. But the longer the fight goes and the more tactical it becomes in all areas, the more it benefits and, and leans toward the style of Jan. All right, before we go to that co-main event, because this Bantamweight type fight between Jan and O'Malley is essentially a number one contender's fight, who do you think O'Malley would have a better chance against if between the co-main and Sterling and Dillashaw? Honestly, I think both guys are really bad matchups for Sean. <laughs> I mean, because of the grappling, right? I mean, TJ with his wrestling and Aljo with his jiu-jitsu and his wrestling, like that that's a tough night for Sean O'Malley either way, which is what I think Piotr Jan's going to do. If he's going to beat him, it's going to be the wrestling and the grappling. But um, on the feet, again, man, I don't think there's anybody in this division, and I'll say it, I don't think there's anybody in this division better on the feet straight up than Sugar Sean. I just, I don't see it. And remember, the loss to Chito Vera, everyone's like, oh, he lost in the first. No, dude, he got hurt. <laughs> he was winning that fight, easily winning that fight, and he got hurt. And he was making Chito look bad. And people have not made Chito look bad. He's been running through that division. So um, don't underestimate. Don't sleep on Sean O'Malley. Don't think it's just the hype train or his social media reach or they want the next big star. No, this is a guy who will go in there and punch, elbow, knee, or kick Piotr Jan's head off at any moment in this fight. All right, now moving on to that co-main event. Aljamain Sterling going to be taking on TJ Dillashaw for the Bantamweight Championship. Now, TJ Dillashaw, for me, I don't know... I don't know if it's the rust or maybe I'm just that big of an Aljermaine Sterling fan to where when he calls him TJ Pillishaw, I'm like, it, it, it makes me laugh. It cracks me up. But TJ Dillashaw, you know, he's had the long layoff, but he is one of the best ever at Bantamweight in the UFC. How do you see this one going? I, first of all, want to say that I love Aljermaine Sterling. He's one of my favorite people I've known in all the years I've covered the UFC. That whole camp, when Chris Weidman was there and you know, and, and uh, what's the dude's name? The uh, the light heavyweight. Oh, my God, it's, it's escaping me. John Vellante, love that dude. 
and um and Aljo and and uh, Mirab and all those guys. I mean, they're just Ray Longo. They're just great dudes. What a great group of, of humans. And Aljo's right there at the top of the list. But um, he, he's such a great grappler. He's so smooth in every area. Sanhagen caught him. He did. I mean, that, I mean, I mean, he uh, he caught Sanhagen. Sorry, excuse me. Early with the um, with the choke, and that was when I just went, wow, he's a savage because Sanhagen's beating everybody at that time, and, and Aljo just legitimately snuck right in there, set him up two moves ahead, chest match, bang, had him early in that fight, and, you know, he, he's, Aljo's been as good as you've seen in the UFC in recent years. He hasn't lost fights. He's found a way to win against every level and every type of opponent. He deserves to be champion. There's no doubt, right? You can't take that away. But TJ's an all-time great, man. Like, I just, I mean, when I look at TJ Dillashaw, the loss to Henry, he was not Dillashaw. He was, that was an awful weight cut. If you see pictures of him, he was emaciated. He looked like, you know, like someone found him in a hole after two months with like both legs blown off and he couldn't move and he hadn't eaten in two months. He looked that bad to me, right? And I didn't think that was TJ we saw in the Cejudo fight. And then we found out he was dirty in that fight. It was all because he tried to move down and get that second belt, which was a bad idea. But there is no doubt, and make no mistake about it, when you look at the run, that TJ had, and he avenged the loss to his son, Sal. You know, the Dominic Cruz fight, I was one of those people who thought that was as close as close could be. Cruz got the split decision in January of 2016 when he came back after a long layoff, kind of like Dillashaw did over Sanhagen when he came back after a long layoff. But for TJ to come back after all that, you know, that, that, that buzz and that press and that negativity around him after the drug test and everybody calling him a cheater and he's on the shelf, and he has injuries, and he hurts himself really bad twice in that fight. The cut he overcame, the knee injury he overcame. That's what an all-time great does. They always find a way to win the fight. George St. Pierre always found a way to win the fight. Was he better than everyone he fought? No, but he always found a way. TJ always finds a way. And that, to me, in a fight that's so close, like not even 51-49, bro. Like It's like 50 points. Six to, you know, 49.4. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's legit. That's how close this fight is. But in a fight that close, at least, you know, going into it and looking at it the way I am, it's, um, it's, it's that variable. It's the way that TJ Dillashaw has always found victory, whether it's the Garbrandt fights after he was rocked, whether it's Lineker dominating a Sun Tzu, unanimous decision, um, the Burrell fights when Burrell was absolutely mm-hmm. unbeatable and no one thought he was ever going to lose. And TJ TKOs him twice in three fights. And so and they fought twice. It was in a three-fight period for TJ. And I just think, you know, I mean, the TKO and the KO over Cody ruined his career. I just think he's the guy who finds a way to get it done, and he'll find a way to get it done and get that belt back over Aljo. Agrees. Now it is time for the main event of the evening for the vacant UFC lightweight championship, Charles Oliveira versus Islam Makhachev. How do you see this one going? Because it is the styles make fights. You've got jujitsu versus the wrestling. There's so much of the Habib talk, and I'm kind of over that. I don't think that Islam is on Charles's level just yet because the the run that Charles Oliveira has had, and then for him to be an underdog in this fight, I've seen him be an underdog, and best believe I'm going to take Charles Oliveira. I'm putting my money on him. But what do you think about Oliveira? It feels like he's being knocked for being someone who's overcome in fights and is always, you know, like you said, about George St. Pierre, about TJ Dillashaw. He's just a guy who finds a way to win, and it comes, feels like with the odds makers, that's being used as a knock against him. Dan Hooker, Bobby Green. That's my answer. Dan Hooker and Bobby Green. You know what they have in common? <laughs> Tell me. <laughs> They're the two best wins for Islam Makachev. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Is that your number one contender for real? Like, I mean, I, I have a problem with this. I understand Dubronx is running through everyone. I understand Islam is Khabib's guy, and there's a hype train, and he's legit, and he's finishing people and destroying people who are very good fighters. And I, look, I'm not dissing Bobby Green, and I'm and I'm not dissing who else did I say? Um, it, I can't remember now, but it was literally those are the two best wins for him. So when I look back on that, Dan I think, and I've been saying this about Oliveira, by the way, when he beat Tony Ferguson and Kevin Lee, I was like, look, Kuli's not the same, and Kevin Lee's Kevin Lee. He hasn't beaten the big name fighters, and then bam. Chandler has him beat. He comes back and, and, and TKO's Chandler. Poirier has him beat. And when I say has him beat, seriously, rock, knocked down. He's been knocked down and, and, and out on his feet or on the ground in every one of these fights. Poirier had him. Nope, come back. He submits him. Gaethje had him. 
nope, come back and submits him. He's become a really good striker. Obviously, he's got a great chin. But the thing about Dubronx that really excites me more than anything, and I was ripping on him for a long time. He didn't deserve the interim title fight. And he was at Chandler. I was all over it. And now I have no choice. I, okay, he's won 11 in a row. But the last three guys he's beaten are as good as you're going to find in any division, right? So you got to give him his credit. And he's doing it, and he's finishing all of them. Like, he's not winning, squeaking by with decisions against these guys. He is submitting and knocking out the top guys in the division. So you remember that, and you remember that Islam doesn't have the competition. But the one thing about Islam that's different from those guys, right? And this is what I was talking to Anthony Smith about this, and he opened my eyes. He's like, no one wants to go to the ground with Dubronx. You notice the one thing they had in common, Chandler, Poirier, Gaethje, they all knocked him down. Well, guess what? Poirier is great in jiu-jitsu. Chandler and Gaethje are wrestlers, elite wrestlers. None of them wanted to go to the ground with Dubrox. Why? He's probably the best jiu-jitsu guy in the UFC, best jiu-jitsu practitioner in the entire sport. No one wants to go to the, the ground with Charles Oliveira, him and Gilbert Burns, and either the list of them, Mackenzie Dern. So you don't want to go to the ground with this guy. So you knock him down, he's out, but you're not going to go down and finish him off like you would against most people because of the fact that he's just going to grab your arm and twist it off or grab your knee and snap it in half or, you know what I mean, like any of those things. I think we lost Grease there. Gonna try to effort to get him back. So we're gonna take a quick break here on the fight game. Don't go anywhere. This is the fight game on 1230 The Game. Welcome back to the fight game. All right, and we are back here on the fight game. Grease has found a way to get back to us. And I know we were almost finished up with the main event for UFC 280, Charles Oliveira versus Islam Makhachev. And before you got cut off, what were you saying? I was talking about how Chandler, Poirier, and Gaethje are elite wrestlers and grapplers, and they did not want to go to the ground with Charles Oliveira when he was knocked down or he was stunned or he was out on his feet or on the ground for fear of being submitted on the ground. I, I did a fight on a, on a regional level one time where Andre Maracaba, who's been a jiu-jitsu coach for Ryan Bader and C.B. Dalloway and Chris Weidman and Robbie Lawler and all those guys, one of the, one of the most badass jiu-jitsu guys you'd ever see, he got knocked out by a striker, out on his feet, hit the ground, still out cold. By the time the dude jumped on top of him to do ground and pound, Andre woke up as the dude hit the ground and literally snapped his knee in half just by instinct before the kid could even get a punch off, even though he was knocked out cold. So no one wants to go to the ground with Dubronx. That's where Islam's different. He believes his wrestling, his grappling, and all those things that he does, he believes he's so strong and so good that he's not going to have to worry about that. So he'll follow Charles to the ground. That'll be a difference you'll see that you didn't see in those other fights. And I think that's a big thing for Islam. He knocks Charles down, he's going down after him, and you don't see that. So I, I, that's the thing I want to see is his, um, his wrestling against the jiu-jitsu. And, um, and, and, and look, 17 finishes for Oliveira, right? And he's an all-time leader. All right, final one for me. A few weeks ago, I thought I had the inside scoop for UFC 282. John Jones, Stipe, that's going to be the main event. Do you still think that that's a possibility? Because I was ready to go. Like, oh, I believe in my source. But now the UFC, I feel like they've thrown everyone for a loop that I don't think that this fight is actually ever going to happen, at least not at UFC 282. What do you think is actually going to end up being the main event for UFC 282 here in Vegas? The main event for UFC 282, I, I'm, I'm not even going to say that it's going to be anything else, man, because I really just am, I'm a manifester, I'm a, your thoughts become reality, if enough of us put it out there, we'll finally see Stipe and John Jones, that's what I'm going to say, <laughs> I mean, I, I just, I have to, I'm not, I'm not giving up on it, man, I can't give up on it, uh, and you know, I mean, I just want to say this, I've known John Jones a long time, I've known Stipe a long time, and, you know, Stipe's a great dude. John, maybe at times, not so much. Um, that's not where I wanted to go with this, but what I wanted to say is John Jones is the greatest of all time, mm -hmm. period, point blank. Nobody's close. I don't want to hear this Khabib stuff. He didn't fight the best in his weight class in his era. Through no fault of his own most of the time, and I understand, but timing is everything. I'd put GSP, I'd put Anderson Silva, I'd put those guys above Khabib, too, um, and it's not a disrespect to Khabib. It's just that those guys fought better fighters. And nobody's fought and beaten better fighters than John Jones. He cleaned out three generations of fighters at light heavyweight. The Legends generation of Lyoto and Shogun 
and you know Rashad and, mm-hmm. and Rampage and those guys. Then the next is the next generation is DC and Gustafson and all those guys who are his contemporaries and his age group. Then the guys like Lionheart Smith and Dominic Reyes and Thiago Santos cleans out that generation. But John Jones to be and get that respect. He's the ultimate competitor. He's got to go up to heavyweight and get that belt in his mind. And I think he's going to do it. I really do. I just I don't want to see any more of his career wasted, any more of his prime wasted. So it's hard for me to say that I want to see any other fight besides that one be the headliner at USC 282 because I don't think that, you know, that would be – I have to, man. Because, I, I, you know, I mean, look, they have Yuri and Glover. Mm-hmm. To me, that's not the main event for that show. Their December show in Vegas needs that that neon light Las Vegas strip star versus star main event, and that's what Steve A. and Jones will give it. That's what they need on that card, and I believe they're going to get it done. Yeah, trying to. I thought I was going to be the person that breaks the scoop, but you know, the scoops game is just too hard for me. Now I don't know if it's going to happen. But, Grease, before I let you get out of here, give me the inside scoop on what you got coming up. Man, I, um, I'm blessed. I, I just got a new gig. I got hired by Aries Entertainment, Triller Fight Club, and Fight, which was bought by Triller. I'm going to be doing play by play interviews in ring and corners, as well as hosting weigh ins and press conferences at the Triller Fight Club events. I got one coming up this weekend in Kansas City, which is lineage of greatness. Kenzie Morrison is headlining on this card. Tommy Morrison's son, Roberto Duran Jr. is on this card. It's crazy. Sons of legends. So I'll be doing in-ring interviews and working the corners, hosting lanes and, and the press conference all week with Triller. So you'll catch it in the Trillerverse, right? And um, see me there. And then obviously with MMA Weekly, we're on live during the fight from Fight Island this coming Saturday. I'll be hosting it live. And then the big Jake Paul fight. I know you're waiting for that one with Anderson Silva the following week. I'll be on live for that one. And then November 12th in New York, I'll be on live again on MMA Weekly as Izzy attempts to show the world that the Octagon is a different place than the kickboxing arena for him and Pereira. So we'll see. And then, I mean, that card's loaded anyway. Frankie Edgar's retirement fight all the way across the board that New York, I mean, think about that. They always come strong when they go to New York City, right? But overall, when you're looking at Madison Square Garden, bright lights, big city, Esparza and Zhang Wei Li, Poirier and Chandler, Hooker's on that card. So we have some huge things. Dominic Reyes coming back. Woo. We got some big things, big fight cards coming up. Just as I'm just as I'm ready to let you go, man, we could go for almost another hour with what's coming up in combat sports. But I got to let you go. Thank you so much for joining me. All right. Hey, it's good talking to you, Demon. And I know what um, I know you guys are struggling a little bit with the Raiders right now, but I, I have a feeling that team's going to turn it around and go on a tear and, and win some games in a row later on. Oh, I hope they do. And go Canes. All right. Thank you, brother. And that's just about going to do it for us on today's edition of The Fight Game. I want to say thank you to Chris Bay, Kenny King, even Sam Gordon for joining us on Unnecessary Roughness yesterday. But, man, such a good show. And a special thank you again to Jim Grease. Hopper, as you just heard him, as UFC 280 is shaping up to be one of the best cards for the UFC this year. And I cannot wait to watch it. And don't forget to still go get tickets to Sin City Showdown. If you're here in Vegas, if you're a fan of Impact Wrestling, They always put on a great show, that I can assure you. This has been The Fight Game on 1230 The Game. Stay safe and protect yourself at all times, everybody.